You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. This is Adam Keith, joined by Matt Dye. This is part two of our podcast of the Prairie Hollow property. We gave you a rundown last time about all of our big plans, but we didn't quite make it through. We knew that wasn't going to happen, so... This is a continuation of all that talk, and and we're going to be covering a lot more um, topics. And I, I think that these topics aren't you know, as common as the other, you know, timber management, the food plots, converting pastures into crops, you know, all that's, you know, pretty typical um, as you transition from a basically a blank canvas into a hunting property. But these next ones, I think, take this property and create you know, its own uniqueness, um, especially to the area, to the, to the natural environment. And um, all these techniques, though, still increase the habitat for deer turkey quail and increase the huntability so it's like and the a- overall productivity of the property oh i'm looking yeah. at uh erosion control and of course we'll get there and, and right and not just that but the overall value of the property correct and i guess the aesthetically please the aesthetics of the property mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things going on but let's dive back and kind of cover what we i guess in Give us, in a nutshell, what we talked about in the last one. So we talked about 600-acre property. We're going to be doing a 400-acre-plus timber harvest, a selective harvest, not a clear cut like you might think of when you do a timber harvest down south. But um, for a lot of people, I think when you start talking about cutting timber, just with our neighbor, for example, we told them we were going to be doing a timber harvest, and they got kind of scared that we were going to be doing clear cuts. So doing a timber harvest, a selective harvest, um, we're also going to be laying out some new food plots on ridge tops. We're going to be creating a better road system around the property. So I'm going to say can, a lot better road yeah. system. It's pretty rough right now, but a UTV is about all you can kind of get around it. And, yeah. um, the skitters and, and everything, you know, there might be a little bit of cleanup work after the logger gets done, but, um, that's typical. And we're going to have nice big road systems, might even be able to, um, plant clover along the edges of, of some of them and use them as fire breaks. And that's just uh, kind of a twofold process there. 
Absolutely. And those road systems, as we mentioned last time, are laid out to where we're not driving through the food plots. That's one of the yep. biggest things. And I guess the most exciting things for me is is the fact that we'll be able to use the roads without driving through the food plots and blowing the deer and turkeys You're out. You're sneaking or around the property like a ninja. Yeah, you are. Through the you cover of darkness. Spidey sense. Yeah, in and out of um, tree stand sets again without bumping deer and, and alerting the whole property. Um, and we talked about planting pines as screens, yes, yes, trying yes. to screen off the gravel road to prevent any poaching. And we also talked about converting these bottom ground pastures that have been taken over by some invasives. Uh, we're going to be converting those to crops, alfalfa and corn, and soybeans down the road, hopefully. Uh, we actually we'll aren't the farmers. Um, we are just leasing it out to a farmer that has the equipment that's going to be cutting the corn for silage and the hay or the alfalfa for hay for his cattle. Um, but down the road, we're hoping to convince him or talk him into some soybeans. So mm-hmm. we shall see. And what else did we cover? Uh, that's kind of you know, some clear cuts. Yeah, uh, government absolutely. programs, uh, clear cuts. Now we'll, now we'll say that word that a lot of people get a little scared about but it's a less than three acre clear cut just to add diversity so we'll have that early succession um growing in the middle of the woods so it was let's just say it was 50 acres of straight hardwoods all the same age we're going to cut out three acres and just treat the stumps and have early succession forbs and grasses growing in those areas in the middle of the hardwoods and we're going to put those in places where Deer are naturally wanting to bed, places we can't hunt, but we can certainly intercept deer from those clear cuts to the food plot. So everything about this property is strategically placed for hunting and habitat improvement. So Absolutely. I think that pretty well covers that, most that of it. That wraps up the most and give, give a, a good idea yeah, of uh, what we kind of got working with. And, and uh, why don't we just dive in and, and talk about this these other techniques um, that are more um, specific to, you know, let's say the, the Ozarks, if you will. Um, and the first one coming to mind is glade restoration. And, and you say glade. Yes. Some people don't know what a glade is. So give us Honestly, one. I didn't know what a glade was until I got to Missouri. I grew up obviously in Virginia and um, heard the word before, but didn't truly know what it was. And, you know, it's one of those things you just say, glade. I think a lot uh, of people, if if they're out of the area, they hear Glaytop Trail and the Mark Twain National mm-hmm. Forest Glaytop Trail, and you think, well, that's a cool name, but you really don't know what it means. Right. And so when we're talking about glades, we're talking about an area that's very shallow soil, usually a lot of rock outcroppings, um, limestone-type rock outcroppings, yep. very shallow soil. And, and in those areas, you see a lot of native grasses and, and forbs and... Those areas have a they're a very unique habitat. They provide all kinds of stuff for for the wildlife. There's actually a um, collared lizard that lives in a lot of those glades in the Ozarks, but that their population is drastically falling because of the cedar encroachment in these glady areas and lack of fire and People lack of fire. And so these glades, um, there's a big initiative and in government program to do glade restoration. And we're actually going to be doing that. Go figure. Yeah. And uh, we're going to use this government program to basically clear out the cedars, cut all the cedars, and um, start introducing fire back to that area. And the great thing about these glade restorations, and I'll say a word now that every hunter will relate to and know. So we've just been using glade, glade restoration, government programs. These are directly correlated as bedding areas. No, absolutely. So we're and, doing and we're disguising food. it as a glade restoration, 
And obviously, we're not trying to hide the fact that it's going to benefit the deer, but it's really going to benefit other species. Just like uh, the word keyword that everybody uses now is pollinators. Mm-hmm. It's basically a great pollinator area. Um, you know, we walked in one of these big glade restoration areas last summer. There was all kinds of wildflowers blooming, coneflowers and purple prairie clover and all kinds of different things that are great for pollinating. So, yeah, very exciting it, about it's that. It's a really diverse plant community, and and just like that lizard, because of the loss of habitat, cedar encroachment, and lack of fire in the Ozarks, a lot of these plants are in danger too. And and you know the the they're just gone from the landscape, but the seeds still in the soil. And as we go in and cut these cedars and follow up with prescribed fire, they're going to come back. And we don't know what's going to come back. Up there could there. be stuff, exactly stuff that we haven't ever even seen before, which is encouraging and exciting. And, you know, it's not just that, you know, this is a South facing slope primarily, um, you know, it's going to be bedding like these areas, you know, as to basically enroll this, um, these acres acres in the government program it's got to classify and and fit this category of this specific type of soil and specific um like location basically on a ridge top and, and where this you know the, the sun's coming through and basically to, to support these um, diverse plant communities so it's it's twofold for us again yeah. we're getting money back in to the pocket for the landowner and it's great betting and food source during the summertime. For exactly. Here. And and the great thing is, so we're kind of covering it all, and we'll summarize and move on now. But um, it, So it's great for all kinds of wildlife. But as a deer hunter, what's awesome about it is this: one of our big glade restoration areas is on the end of a ridge that we really can't hunt anyway. Access and, is horrible there. And it's such a narrow ridge that we wouldn't be able to put a food plot on it anyway. And so it's just like, okay. Here's a perfect ridge for bedding area. Oh, wait, we're going to get paid now through a government program to clear out the cedars and introduce prescribed fire. This is perfect. So, Which we would have done anyway. Yeah. Because that's what the area needs and calls for, but we get paid for it. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. I like money in the pocket. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's uh, We're taking money from government program instead of in, out of our own wallets. So. Darn right. And we're making fantastic bedding areas. So. Oh, man. It's going to be desirable. exciting to see. It's actually one of those areas, ironically, where two years ago, my dad was walking through there and he, he heard a buzz. And he's like, what in the world? He looked around, he started watching and started seeing a few honeybees and he started mm-hmm. following them. And he actually found a honeybee tree in the middle of that area. Oh, so wow. it's one of those, we're talking about pollinating and pollinators that there's already bees in the area. Because he mm-hmm. went back the next year and they were there again. And so it's just one of those things that I think uh, we start doing a lot of this work. We're not only helping the wildlife as far as what most of us consider deer, turkey, quail, but we're going to be helping out butterflies, honeybees. And those are two things that outside of the hunting world are, there's big initiatives there's to help those. Big so. initiatives, but they're really important yeah. to, honestly, the you know pollination of, of your, your important species for fruit deer. Fruit trees. For, exactly, fruit trees, anything and everything. It can all be tied back in a, you know. The more we learn, the more we do research stuff, it's amazing just to know how much of um, different ecosystems, everything's tied in to one another. Everything supports itself. And that's uh, why as, as deer hunters, conservationists, habitat managers, I think it's important that we don't overlook and we don't get so close-minded and just think, yes. okay, I want to prove this. I want to prove the habitat for the deer. I want to prove the habitat for the quail. 
you need to think big picture. Okay, how what what can I do to benefit all Every species? Thing. All yes. native species. Yes. And that's where these glade restorations are going to be dynamite for everything. Yep. So That's exciting. And I think if you if if you're thinking a glade, what's a glade? At the beginning of this, go into Google right now and type in glade, click images, and you'll be able to see a, a great example of what it is we're talking about um, and just how unique these areas are. And um, you'll quickly see with all the, the diverse plant community and herbaceous Better, yeah, plants. Better putting glade forbs. top trail views. And, oh. and you'll see a lot of those glades and kind of that natural. The, the great thing about glades are what I think is so cool about them is they're usually these really rugged type landscape. You think that couldn't be productive. Exactly. And it's one of the most productive things in the right. Ozark, So Right. Now they're going to want to go on a date with their significant other on Glade Top Trail. Yeah, it's a great place for sure. Well, you act like you've been there before with it on a date. Guilty. <laughs> well, that's that's exciting. Um, again, we're going to have how many acres are we converting into? Um, it's a little. The glade? It's like fifty-five acres. Fifty-five acres for for this property. That's that's pretty big. Yeah, that's I think gonna the house program a lot. covers like thirty. Okay. 35, something mm-hmm. like that. And that's, so. again, because of the different soils. Mm-hmm. Um, that just what the, the government qualifies as, okay, we can put money towards this specific type. Um, so great. Yeah. Great, great, great. Awesome. I think we pretty well covered that. Yeah. So one thing we forgot to mention on the last podcast when we were part one of this Prairie Hollow property rundown, if you will, um, was the – we talked about food plots, but there's a little part of that that we – definitely forgot to talk about and this is kind of key to the whole hunting strategy and we always people if they follow along they're going to hear the word diversity so much they may get sick of it but i it's it's very important extremely and, important and you know we'll go back to the glade and say that's one of the great things about the glade areas is because mm-hmm. of the diverse species that live there but now let's talk about the diversity of both food plots and one thing we're going to be creating and Several of these big food plots, two acre plus, there's going to be these little areas that we clear out that are going to be kill plots, little bitty, almost transition areas. So we're going to place these little kill plots. And when you say little, give me an acre. Less size. than that, less than that, half an acre. Yes. So half acre or less. In Basically, size. something you can almost shoot you can across. shoot across. Right. Exactly. And you know when we talk about deer hunting, I I think it's no lie that that a lot of times you don't see mature deer, mature bucks for sure, in the middle of big ag fields, big food plots. Unless there's receptive does or they're really in, Let's say daylight hours. Daylight hours, yes. Yeah. And especially here in the Ozarks. Yep. And so if it's going to take a receptive doe or a major cold front, snow on the ground to get them out there in daylight hours, let's figure out another way to hunt them. Absolutely. A lot of times they'll go to them. They're using them daily, but they're it's not a, there it's till a destina- after dark. Exactly, it's a destination plot that again they're not they're not going to in the daylight. So it doesn't make sense to really hunt them there. No. Plus, I don't like to really hunt them anyway on um, a big destination on, plot on a regular basis, just because you know a lot of times you're you're doe hunting and you don't see. I like to hunt them going. It's a lot more intrusive to hunt those food plots unless you have a a path going to and from to where you can get to the stand and out without walking through the edge of the food plot. Right. And so trying to find ways to get in between 
the bedding area and that big destination food plot is key. And that's where these little kill plots come in. And these little kill plots are so small, we're probably going to manage them in clover. Mm-hmm. We like to add clover depending on the property. Um, some properties, you know, if it's a if it's a large property with tons of alfalfa, clover is probably not going to be as impacted by deer just because they're kind of serving the same purpose. Yeah. So these little clover plots, kill plots, are going to be put in between bedding areas like this glade restoration area or our clear cut area and the big destination food plot. And we're going to find ways to get to those without ever walking through the food plot, without walking next to the bedding area, very it's silent, very, ninja-like yeah. to get to these little kill plots. It's a very tactful, very specific location. I mean, we're marking out specific trees. This is the boundary. This is where we can walk. Like, we have a path in mind. And sometimes they're, they're even built around a tree, like a, a tree, like a specific tree, because we know we can get to this tree, and if the area is flat around it, you know, we can plant it too. So that's our tree. We're going to hang there and we can access it easy. The kill plot's going here. Exactly. I, I'm very excited about the kill plot. And what we've already done, honestly, we already marked some of these trees on the property. <clears throat> it's important, you know, ahead of time, especially if there's a logging crew coming in, to say, don't take this tree, please, because yeah. that's the one we're going to hang in. So. Mm-hmm. We've got these marks Especially already. on these ridge tops on the Prairie Hollow property where it's been high graded and there's, there's not many big trees. The options for tree stands are very slim. Yeah. Very slim. It's not ideal, but it Absolutely. will make it work. And and you said you talked about clover for a little bit and the um, importance of that in these kill these small kill plots because again they're they're in a great location already, but we're just trying to slow down those deer and really just kind of attract them to this little spot just for a little bit. Honestly, slow them down. As they're going to the big feeding, um, mm-hmm. big food plots. You know what about you, like what about a fall blend? You could do that, and we may do that in yeah. these areas. But some of these food plots are probably going to be put in fall blends anyway, just to add diversity. Like a cover so crop on some of the big like cornfields. Yes, mm-hmm. and so it, we're trying to use clover. We're, we're going to be using clover in these small kill plots just because there's not really another place that we're going to be using them, and we're trying to. We're trying to add clover to the food plot agenda just to add diversity. And, of course, this is all going to be tweaked as the it, years go absolutely. on. We're going to be tweaking, okay, we need more of this. We need more of, We need more grains during the fall. We need more fall um, blends, fall green plots. And so, because and there's going to be alfalfa tweaked. coming into the rotation, not year one, but down the road. So yeah. some of these clover plots, they might not be as attractive. We're going to find that out because of the presence of, mm-hmm. of out, you know, a large production um, alfalfa field. So those might be transitioned again. Like we said, it, it's a kind of a revolving door, which again makes management a lifetime. I know we always kind of say that it's management of a property is a lifetime learning experience. Um, but that's that kind of is a, a great example provides, you know, things are going to change and we just have to be able to adapt and, um, you know, make those areas as highly attractive each year as possible. I, absolutely. And, you know, w- before we finish it, this up, we'll talk about why kill plots, why we're excited about these kill plots. When you think about, I think of several occasions where I've seen a mature deer and he's working his way to a food plot, whether I'm scouting in the sum- late summer or it's during hunting season. How many times do you see that deer 
come to an area at the edge or he's 50 yards back and he just stops and he watches. He just, exactly. Locks and up he's like, And he just stares out into the food plot or he sits there with the wind in his face and tries to scent check the whole food plot. Mm-hmm. That happens probably more than we're ever aware. And with these kill plots and the way they're placed, we're going to naturally, it's just going to be natural travel pattern for the deer to go through them. Correct. They don't have to just go there and check and then move on to the next one. Like, they ha- they're going to walk through them to go to the next one, so there's going to be a shot opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what's most exciting about these yeah. kill plots. So on an estimate, how many kill plots do you do we have laid out on I the think, property? I think I counted eight or nine. Eight or nine. we started this podcast on the map. So right. eight or nine, and that's kind of around our big... We're not, you know, we're not going to put a kill plot next to a half acre green plot or a three quarter acre, right? Just because we can, the way those are laid out, we'll be able to shoot most of those anyway if deer steps out. Mm-hmm. But they're around the big acre and a half plus size right. food plots. That's what we're really trying to break break it up and add a little diversity to those big areas. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, like uh, I think that covers the. The, the really cool part of the food plot program. So let's go into the another little bit about the food plots. And this is also another government program that we will enter down the road uh, when we're trying to, because there's so much work laid out in the first year. So we'll be constantly doing other things down the road, um, other programs, other strategies to improve the overall productivity of the property. And this one's edge feathering. Now, that sounds familiar. Everyone's probably heard of a little bit of edge feathering and, you know, deer creatures of the edge. But when you say edge feathering, what exactly does that mean? And what is, you know, what are you starting with? And then what is the end result? What is it going to look like when we say edge feathering? And why? Why is the government program? Why is there even a government program for edge feathering? So to, I guess, answer the five questions you just asked. <laughs> um <laughs> So an edge, the edge feathering, of course, we always hear this. I think anybody who's ever done any research on on uh, habitat improvement for wildlife, they realize that, or especially deer, that they're creatures of the edge. That's what everybody says. And it's true. And so edge feathering is trying to account for that, increase the, the edge of the property. Um, you know, a lot of times, in, especially in hardwoods or even timber country, you'll have a food plot. And then it'll go right into trees. And there's so basically you have closed canopy, boom, to you've got open cl- food plot. Yes. Food plot. Closed canopy with 40-foot-tall trees, mm-hmm. boom, open food plot. Yeah. Not really a transition. There's yep. not really a step down, if you will. There's a... there's a It's a stark difference. Yes. There's not a, there's there's not a, a gradual... A very hard contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. For simple terms, there's black and there's white. Yeah. And so we're now we're trying to add gray area, if you will. That's yeah, yeah. that's these edge feathering, and and so there's a lot of these trees along the edge of the food plot that are closed canopy. So we're basically trying to open that up, drop a few of those trees, feather the edge, and we're going to drop those, add some early succession, add some growth, some cover that's ten foot and under, and so it starts to get into the step down from forty foot closed canopy, stepping down to a little bit early succession, grasses, trees, probably tree some tops. hinge cut, tree yeah. tops, and then a food plot. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's the whole idea. With it's like a buffer. Feather. Yeah. 
It's a security blanket. There you go. I like that. Yeah. We're going to think it's, of all sorts of phrases. We keep going on this. Yeah. It's a security <laughs> blanket. So it's kind of, you know, a lot of times, actually right before we started this podcast, I showed you a graphic that I saw on one of my uh, Facebook groups that I follow. It was showing patch burn grazing. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different thing. But patch burn grazing, they, and the reason for it is because there, there's so many creatures that are creatures of the edge that through the patch burn grazing, you add more edge on a property yeah and so that's basically what we're trying to do here with with the food plots are great and we're going to be doing timber stand improvement which is great but now we want to increase it even more and add a little more security to those food plots maybe maybe by adding these edge feathering on the edge of the food plots deer will be in them during daylight more Mm -hmm. we don't know Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not hurting the cause and it adds more habitat. More habitat. More native vegetation Natural on the habitat. edge. Who knows? It may be a bunch of ragweed that grows up, which is fantastic deer food. Mm-hmm. But that's better than a closed canopy. Absolutely. And a and harsh harsh line between the food plot and the closed canopy timber. It's a government program that puts money again back in your pocket to be able to create this. Exactly. And, yeah. and honestly, a tool, to how, you know, how do you even create an edge feathering? It's a chainsaw. Yeah. If you've got timber, you're just you're hinging trees, you're flush cutting some trees, laying them over, and creating this this you know buffer area, you know, and some of them, you know, it depends on the the program itself and and what it you know it calls for. But we're not talking hundred yard wide edge feathering. You know, this is a twenty to thirty yard strip. That's what at most, most. Of the government yeah. programs call for twenty to thirty yard strips along the edge of the food plot. So mm-hmm. we're just enhancing. Getting paid to do so, creating a little bit more edge, and um, of course, like we said, deer are creatures of the edge. It's only more habitat for them. And we keep saying putting money in our pocket or getting paid to do it. It's not because we're money driven to trying to make money off the timber or off the property in general. This is because Matt and I both come from a background of managing on a budget. Correct. Uh, I we both grew up on cattle farms, and so trying to convince our family that we needed to remove cattle from a portion of the farm so we could have better hunting was kind of a sin. It removed money from their pocket. Yeah. And so we're trying to find ways to manage but not be out of money for this. Not so. Exactly. And and when we say, you know, it puts money in our pocket, it honestly, it doesn't. What it does is put money into the property so that – you know, we can have additional food plots and it not cost or come right out of our pocket. Yeah. You know, this money, we're investing it back into the property, you know, to de-stump a food plot. Don't tell or... our wives that. <laughs> They're going to want to go on a date to Glade yeah. Top. Yeah. Oh, you guys Picnic got lunch? paid for that? No, we didn't get paid no, for that. No, that was volunteer work. Yeah. So it, we did it, it for the good of the habitat. Yeah. They're probably get tired of hearing that line. Yeah. But so, it, it basically, it just it allows us, you know, with this food plot seed, you know, pay pay to put the seed into the food plot, or it's a new sprayer, or or you know, piece of equipment that you know you know you're going to use. A new it. chainsaw, tree stands, whatever. Yeah. It puts money back in the po- pocket or property to further enhance it. Exactly, and that's what we're all about: further enhancing mm-hmm. the habitat. Absolutely. So, stepping up to the next one. Ooh, I like this one. Yes, this one is very, very happy to see on the list of things to come and it's a quail habitat restoration area yes about five acres that is kind of a eastern face slope east and north facing slope 
that is basically right now fescue and spotted knapweed and cedar trees. So uh, a zero value. Yes. Zero. And I think right off the bat. Zero benefit to wildlife. Yes. Clear that up. Yeah. Because there's cattle on it right now. Yeah. So this will be fenced off. You know, Mm -hmm. cattle will be removed from it during this time of it, you know, establishing it. Yeah. Removed. This initially time. Yes, yes exactly so we'll we'll get there we'll cover that um but when you think you know you hear quail habitat no it's not just specific to quail and that's the beauty of again this government program when you're converting pasture ground into quail habitat because there are programs for that quail habitat is ideal cover and and food for White-tailed deer and nesting habitat for turkeys and monarch butterflies, butterflies and honey the whole gamut. Yeah, and so and yes, this natural to the na- uh, to the Ozarks. Absolutely, it's native to the Ozarks to have this habitat. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, it's it's native, it's beneficial, and yes, it's designed for quail, which we're very excited about because Adam's honey quail here on this property and is his uh, family's farm when he was growing up. And that's not just that. That was the like very first thing that I ever started hunting. Mm-hmm. That's what got me hooked on hunting was quail hunting. And with my grandpa, my dad, my brother, my friends, that's what we started doing was yeah. quail. And yeah. over time, I've watched the population just plummet. And it's it's sad. And it's kind of one of those things now at 29 in my life, 29 years old, I'm like, Shoo. yeah, sorry, 29 years old. And I'm like. No, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to fight back. And mm-hmm. this is one way to fight back. I'm going to improve the habitat. And this is something that I hope everybody starts doing. No doubt. Is, and they start taking advantage of these government programs to help offset the cost. Because if you were to go just buy a bunch of native grasses, they're Ooh, they're expensive. Funny. They're they're no bag of wheat seed they're, in yeah. comparison. They're They're a lot more expensive. But if you use government programs, and now with the initiative to restore pollinators for the monarch butterfly yep. the honeybees and even some and uh for quail there are programs for the quail you do all three of these and it's just like there, there's there's plenty of money out there in the government programs to help offset the cost to it, do this to me it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the um, glade restoration it's not habitat it's not basically titled white-tailed deer habitat but it benefits it. Like mm-hmm. you do this work, you get paid for this work. Deer, turkey will benefit from it. And of course, again, quail, which is, you know, for this specific area, that's what we're designing this to be a quail restoration area. Again, it's five acres, but you know, occasionally you're going to hear a whistle around in the spring. Two years ago on this property, I actually saw a covey of 20 birds. That was the first covey of quail and the last covey of quail I've seen in the area and 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so it tells me that there's hope. That was in a bottom field that was kind of this, we'll get to it, old field management type mm-hmm. field. Um, and so there's quail in the area. And I think uh, people would be amazed at how quickly you do some work. You kill off some fescue and you get some native grasses coming back. I think they'd be surprised at how you would start seeing and hearing a few quail. Absolutely. And we're trying to speed up that process through this program. So now let's talk about the cattle involved in that because we said Absolutely. temporarily remove the cattle. Right. And this is this is key. This is taking this habitat once it's created and really 
it's it's like fine tuning. Mm-hmm. You know, you you've got it established, and a lot of people are probably saying, "How in the world is cattle fixing in this five acres going to help?" Like, yeah. what 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 do they do? So think of the cattle. And this is what you know. My whole life, I've been raised on a cattle farm, but I've been a hunter, and. So now, I, obviously you don't like cattle. Yeah, it's like <laughs> saying you're a Democrat and a Republican. Right, right. Like, it just almost doesn't hardly work. And so trying to find, it's always been, how can you make it work to where you have both? Yes. And this is one way to make it work. And not only make it work. Improve. Improve everything. It, it helps both sides. So the native grasses that are growing they're they're typically warm season grasses, mm-hmm. and Big that blue this is, stem, this, little blue stem. This is going to differ grass, from your pastures, grass. which are typically a fescue, which are cool, cool season, season grass, non-native so, as correct. well. So those are you know that that in some in our area, let's say late March to um, about June is when they're peaking, and then mm-hmm. again in September to the end of October. Yep. That's that's the fescue like prime cool season orchard grass, correct? Timothy, Timothy grass, yes. That stuff that's non-native, and right. and it's actually been kind of the reason for the downfall. reason for the downfall of quail, and so trying to find ways to make it work is has been introducing or reintroducing these native grasses back into the grazing operation. Correct. Can't graze them like you graze fescue, and of course, this is a wildlife hunting podcast show, so we won't go into the, the cattle side of it too much, but we will say, think of the cattle as a Modern day buffalo. It's it's one of those things that if used correctly, the cattle can go before everything else in the grazing side of it. They can graze it down, knock it down, help create some paths, create some trails, create some yeah, and that's what helps the quail and the Survive. turkeys. Yeah, turkey, turkey poults. poults. They, Absolutely, they have those cattle trails, which is dust. They can maneuver around in the clumps of native grasses, have security, but still be able to bug and chase those insects underneath the canopy of the native grasses just Absolutely. because the cattle went in there and cleared it out. And last year I went to field day and I heard some very interesting research about the benefits of cattle in native prairie stands. And they said that in those, in core, I guess in comparison between a native grass prairie versus native grass prairie that's been grazed, that there was, 66% better survival rate. Now, that's just remembering from one year ago, and I have a terrible memory, but it was significant So it's probably actually rates. 6%? Yeah, no, it was way better <laughs> way better than that. And there was significant, significantly better survival rates of the quail in the areas that had been grazed because they had the freedom to move around and basically escape danger. Right. And in the areas where they hadn't grazed and it was rank native grasses, there was a predator that was eating all the coveys, or a lot of the coveys, while they were nesting. And, and, and predator likely, likely was snakes. Yeah, who, who you would, would think thought? a coyote or a feral cat or a hawk, but it was snakes. Because of the rank warm season grass that had not been grazed by a cattle or, you know, way back when, a bison. Yeah. If those hadn't moved through the area, um, predation was was way more on these ground nesting birds and so just there in that instance we have a pasture okay mm-hmm. reverting back to native warm season grass so that gives an opportunity for cattle 
to graze in the summer months when fescue is not extremely productive in our area. So it, not productive, but it's, it has endophytes. So right. when cattle eat it, their body temp goes up. Correct. They don't. They stop putting on weight. Now they're standing out under a shade tree rather than eating and gaining weight. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the problem with a lot of fescue grazing is is the endophytes. But the native grasses don't have that. Plus, they're growing quicker during the summer months when the endophyte is high in the fescue. So if you find this balance where you're grazing native grasses during the summer months, that gives that cool season grass time to be dormant and not being grazed into the dirt. Plus, the cattle are continuing to put on weight. Plus, now you're creating these trail systems and browsing down the native warm season grasses for the betterment of quail, turkey populations, and not allowing, you know, not having as, as good of um, rank warm season grasses for snakes to hide in to mm-hmm. increase predation on those ground nests. So and think birds. of so, your buffalo way back when. What they would do is they would come through, graze the very young tender stuff, move on to the next pasture. It's a quick There was no fence right. keeping them in. So they just went to where the very young tender stuff was and moved on. And didn't and overgraze it. That's the key. didn't overgraze with with you know if you're introducing cattle into this little five acre place, it's a quick maybe one day mm-hmm. boom they're off. Maybe they'll come Depending back on the amount of you know, cattle going in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe they'll go back you know in, in three weeks or four weeks once it kind of jumps back up. Yeah. Um. So honestly, in all that, I didn't really find a negative. No. So there was. None. I'm all about it. Exactly. So it's something that's very exciting. Extremely exciting. Yeah, to find a, and hopefully that's one thing that we can do with Land and Legacy is show on some of these properties the win wins. The win wins where your dad or your uncle has the cattle and you want the hunting, and now we're trying to find ways to make it work. And this Absolutely. is one way that we can make it work. Absolutely. It's very encouraging. Um, you know, my my dad is, is a, a cattle farmer, just like we, we've said, but, you know, his his main focus, he loves to hunt, don't get me wrong, but his main focus and in income is cattle. And this is a way to, you know, satify both parties. And he yeah. wants to he wants to hunt quail too. He wants to hunt quail. You know the, the program thing is, Wayne, you know, if they start um understanding the benefits of native grasses, some of these areas and here some of these areas that are a little more rough, like the mm-hmm. glade area. That is, you wouldn't think as a pasture at all. No, there were you wouldn't if Not you told a, a cattle years. farmer, hey, we're going to convert that to fescue, they're going to laugh at you. Absolutely. But if you say, hey, we're going to do some native grasses here, and you'll be able to graze it, mm-hmm. they kind of scratch your head and go, really? And then they start diving in and looking at the benefits of grazing native grasses during the summer months, and they'll be like, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So now we have we have cool season grazing, and we have warm season grazing. And, and now habitat. And the key for, I think the key for cattle operations to work with wildlife so they all benefit is the constant grazing rotation. Yep. They don't get dumped on a hundred acre lot and left there for six months. They're constantly being moved. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what's key. Absolutely. So I think we, I think we, we covered that one well. Yeah. Very well. And hopefully that gives again, you know, just encouragement to, to I really every 12 year old boy like myself when I was 12 goes to their dad and says, Hey, we ought to consider this. Yeah. Let's think about this. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully, even with some new government programs that are coming out, there'll be this initiative to let's let's stop the downfall of quail populations and monarch butterflies and honeybees and let's fight back. Let's improve some habitat. Definitely. And this is one way to do it. So 
we're going we're to go back to our to our big pastures in the bottom because there is a a large creek that flows cuts large. right through that. Come on now, it's not that large. It's big. Prairie Hollow Creek. Prairie Hollow Creek. That's it's pretty wide for a it's, creek. It's wide, but it's it doesn't carry water except for probably Certain six to eight months out of the year. It has water in it. During turkey season, when you're trying to wade across and you get your feet wet, that's one time. And it's pretty like much during there. the during the spring and the falls when it runs. It doesn't run during the summer. But the thing is, it's it's been so the the amount of gravel that's filled that creek in is is uh, over the years has been kind of a pain to deal with because oh, now the water when we get a lot of rain the water actually shoots over the banks and rushes out into the bottom fields which the bottom fields are going to be corn and so anybody that's ever I guess ever farmed around a creek knows how big of a pain it is to deal with water rushing over the banks so. One of our and, big, and it's not only rushing over the banks, but in some areas, it's eroding the banks. I yes. mean, detrimental. Almost. Like one place, we're uh, losing field because of it. Yes, and there was actually one place where we have almost like an hourglass type field, and in the middle of that hourglass is some major erosion going on. To where if it continues, we're going to end up being the the creek's going to press up against the side of the bluff or side of the ridge, and we're not going to be ha- able it's, to go from one field to the next. It would be two separate fields, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why erosion control. That's one thing that is, will be a little bit different with Land and Legacy is we're going to be talking about the little things for the Ooh, overall overall property property management, management yeah. and erosion control. So we have a couple big places where we're going to be using something that is a major eyesore. And it's one of those things that if you drive through the Ozarks and probably most of the country, you're gonna you see them laying everywhere, and you're like, what "Man, those good things are." are for? Uh, I wish somebody could find something useful for those things. And we may have found something useful. We're we're excited to try it out. We're gonna be testing, using some different things. But old tires, ugh, just just the the sound of them just makes you think, yeah, junkyard. Exactly, and and it's just like. You know, a couple weeks ago, Matt and I were cleaning up the family farm, and we found tires upon tires upon tires upon tires. I don't tires. have enough fingers and toes to count how many we we found. Oh, tons of them. We have a huge pile of tires now, and we want to find something useful for them. And we're we're going to be experimenting and, and working on ways to use them in erosion control. And that's something that we're excited about. And it'll be cool to follow along and see how well it works. Because if it does work, hey, we may have found a way to make this yeah, people use them. You see this a lot uh, with like some stream restoration mm-hmm. areas where people have used tires. We're going to be doing something similar to that, but a little bit different. Yep. Um, and so it's something to follow along and, and see how it and works. Get excited for because basically uh, so many different water sources and stuff have been rechanneled or or you know just just changed over time. And uh, you know this problem is not just here on this property. It nope. is everywhere. Um, and so, you know, this this technique where we're feeling really good about and and I know we're gonna be tackling it here in the coming months. And then um yeah. it'll be something awesome to, to hopefully follow along and, and see the progression and see how how well um it works. And not only that with the tires, but we're also gonna be planting trees. Yeah, definitely. That's just, just get a, a root system a built into yeah. Into those banks, hold mm-hmm. the hold in the soil. And and it's not just a random, you know, it's not gonna be a um a sawtooth oak, like it's going to be a wet weather tree, like a willow that has the root system that's that's going to be um, best supported by 
you know, a creek system that's got the and also deep sycamores. Roots, a sycamore, exact, exactly. Um, you know, you might not think, you know, okay, well, what what benefits does that have to the wildlife? You know, for this instance, this is for stream restoration, stream um, protection, basically. This is more conservation. This than is wildlife. best suited. Yeah, these trees are best suited for this application. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, by planting those trees, we're saving so much more food by conserving the field because those crops would get flooded, wiped out during the summer um, or early spring once they're planted. If we get a good seeing, flood, what gone. we're seeing is a lot of the floods, whenever it does bust the banks, we're seeing a lot of gravel being dumped into the field. So yes. this is going to prevent that yep. and uh, allow us to produce more forage, more hay, more silage in the middle of the fields. So Definitely. Yeah, I think I've pretty well covered that one, and we'll move on to the next one. And uh, Ooh. this one is very exciting, and and it's something that's it's being touched on by a few people, a few people, but getting unfortunately out of that, not enough. No, not enough at all. And getting out of the whole mindset, like we talked last week about food plots, is not. It's not the end all solve all to to property management. Yeah, it enhances, you know, deer travel and feeds them for a time being. But but overall, it's not really doing much for the habitat management. Yeah. Just because most of the times food plot, I would say, are less than 5% of the property. Typically. And so trying to get out of that and find other ways to improve the habitat and improve the hunting and overall just the quality of the property is. and, And two, doing it on. A tight budget again you know we keep going back to that but like this technique is really cheap yeah and you, you know you're not you don't have to fertilize you don't have to plant anything and it just comes back and, and we're talking like production wise and benefit we're talking 20 to 30 percent protein in these plants that are coming back the equivalent to another a production sweeping yeah yeah absolutely but not have to buy to buy the seed I can imagine people are sitting here right now on the edge of the seat. Come on, just tell us what it is. Tell it. Yeah. Tell it. Production well, streaming. What? Severely disappointed when they hear the <laughs> title of it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And the title is. Go ahead. Old field management. Old field management. And yeah, you see a lot of. I'm seeing a lot of this research out of QDMA. Yeah, they're doing a great job at promoting it. Dr. Craig awesome. Harper is, yep. is talking about it a lot. And uh, I, I, I hope that more and more people start talking about Catch it. Catch it on. Like I want this to be the fad. Yeah, I love I love food plots, but I want this to be the fad because I want of the old benefit. Oil management, and timber management to be the fad. Numero uno and dos. Yeah, and then when it comes food to plot, and the food plots being the the hunting side of it. Okay, yeah, we have our food plots. So it's just like you don't have to speak about food plots because we already know if you're a yeah. hunter, you're probably trying to plant them. Right. This let's, is let's, the stuff let's talk I about. Hear this. More. Yeah. And do you want to give a rundown on that? Yeah, what absolutely. About? Old field management is is going back to those. You know, if you will, the the dead zones, the areas that aren't producing anything. Maybe it's the corner of a pasture that, you know, your dad, grandpa has fenced off and it's just ranked old fescue and it's not doing anything. And fescue grows in a thick mat across the ground. And so it doesn't allow sunlight to reach the the, the soil and, and promote native vegetation. So when it comes to, so, you know, old field management, honestly, what most of the time we're prescribing to clients is during March, once that fescue has begun to grow and green up you're coming in and you're just applying herbicide a glyphosate roundup mixture to those areas to kill off the fescue and now your competition your 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 mat your weed mat or your native 
browse mat that has inhibited the, that growth is gone. It's wiped away. And now you're going to have a flush of native vegetation. Because remember, that's all in the seed bed. You know, it will get there and it will grow. Um, so you're eliminating the fescue, allowing these native species like, let's say, a ragweed. First year, yeah, first year you're going to see a lot of ragweed. Polkberry. Yeah. Um, Oldfield asters. Even brambles. Don't be afraid of brambles. Goldenrod. Goldenrod. Absolutely. You're going to see a Sumac. lot of this stuff that you're like, I, th- I think that the, the cattle farmer and me would look at it, the, I guess the cattle farm background would look at it and go, what are, we do- what are we doing with that field over there, Dad? Like, why, why is it so ugly? But then we talk about ugly in, in a wildlife sense and we go, ooh, this is nice. I, honestly, I want ugly throughout my property yeah and 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 that's the thing that you know i hope hope we're, we do is 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 praise ugly like that is beneficial to deer again remember they're, they're creatures of the edge and this is what grows on the edge these species grow along the edge and you know it's so simple it's spraying or in if you follow along you probably know we're not huge fan of disking but if you were to disc that portion of the field you know we would encourage you if it is fescue to spray the fescue because you can't kill fescue just by disking unless it's super super aggressive and and for multiple years at that point then you don't want to do it if it's that exactly so spray spray the fescue and disc through that area expose a little bit of the soil and by doing that again that's key word you said little we're not talking about completely don't turn it all over no you're talking about you're seeing oh, a little maybe bit a of pass. dirt. Maybe one pass. A yeah. little bit of dirt. And um, that, again, exposes those native seeds to come in and grow. And and when we're talking about digestible fibers, you know, and protein in these plants, we're talking comparable to soybean. Like, mm-hmm. and it's, all you've done is and, disc or spray. Yeah. You and, don't and, plant. And, so... Let's just say that something grows up that we don't want again. Some other type of grass. And it could be an invasive or, or, you know. Yeah, it could be all of a sudden you see Johnson grass or whatever. I'll give Dr. Craig Harper when I heard him say, when he talked about this, is it's lifelong. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, so what? As he said, so what if something else grows back? Just spray it and kill it. Yeah. And then see what else comes back. Right. And then you'll see what else, what other seed was in the soil. And it's just... It's not, you're not ever going to get where you want to be in the, in, I'm not even sure we'll ever get where we want to be in general. Right. But we'll get closer. And so if another invasive grows back after we kill the fescue, we'll spray it and move to the next thing. We'll see what else comes back. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things that it, it's so easy and so beneficial. I hope more and more people start doing it. I, I do. And, and honestly, one, again, this is a really, most likely a, a diverse plant community, um, Early successional stuff, and I you know, keep saying diverse, diverse, diverse. I'm going to run through a list, quick list of some of the species that you you might see come back, and that are extremely extremely valuable to um, and I hope deer. and I hope when people listen to Forage this, wise. they start thinking in their head. Okay, when they when they hear you list these, they're yeah. like what they originally think of it. So like you're yes. going to say some, and you're going to be like, ooh, ooh, I don't like those, but if it's beneficial to wildlife, hopefully they start liking them. Absolutely. Because we like it a whole lot more than we like fescue. <laughs> we don't have to say that. I hope they know that already. Yeah. But here we go. We've got pokeweed, oldfield aster, prickly lettuce, blackberry, partridge pea, beggar's lice, 
Those are the ones that just stick to you. Beggar's lice. That's the thing. It's, people call them stick tights. Yeah. Or, or uh, trespassers, whatever they want to call it. And that's one of those things that is fantastic wildlife food. Oh, absolutely. And and again, most of these, when it comes to forage type, we're talking about you know just emerging from the ground. And as they're young and tender, um, that's when they're most palatable. But we'll we'll get there when in a second. When they make seed. Yeah, this you know they're also very productive. Yeah. So the rest of the list goes ragweed, sumac, goldenrod. Those are just just a couple right off the list that are um, again just very productive and and not thought of as deer food. No. A deer's diet is so diverse; it's not even funny. Mm-hmm. I can't. We wouldn't have enough time in an hour podcast to go through you know all the species that a deer will consume. Yeah. And but, uh, I, I think. You know, you put a, you put cattle on a food on a field, they're going to consume fescue and fescue and fescue and fescue and fescue. Deer aren't like that; they're browsers. So even if you planted a huge food plot, and you're like, okay, this is where the deer are going to feed, they're I'm going to laugh at you. The deer are going to laugh at you because no matter what, they're still going to eat whatever native species is in the area. So that's just one of those things. Old field management, easy to do, and it's so beneficial. And it's basically you're getting a soybean field where you couldn't normally get a soybean field, probably. Yeah, and not, again, not all of them are going to be you know comparable to a soybean, but that mixture, and that diversity, um, and it, and so here's the uh, other part of that we haven't touched on. During the early stage, this is food. Mm-hmm. During the summer months, they're going to start growing and maturing, and they mature now, at different rates. Too. They mature at different rates, so there's different food throughout throughout the growing season. season. Right. Then once they mature. They've now turned into some of the best bedding that yeah. you can think of. When you think of deer bedding, think of the the height of a deer. So from ground level to four foot tall, that's that's ideal bedding, and that's what you've grown in these areas. And that's so it's just like we fed them. Now it's just whoop turned into be- to bedding. Yeah, and and then the next year it does the same thing. We mm-hmm. fed them during the growing season. A lot of times this will take pressure off your food plots. Yep. So that's why. You know, sometimes we go to these clients' properties. It's not always about adding more food plots. It's it, we have to look at it, and, and it's it's a shame to say, okay, add more food plots from thirty thousand feet. But maybe there's another, maybe through the timber management and the old field management, that's going to feed the deer a huge amount. Now Absolutely. the food plots are probably just a hunting strategy. Mm-hmm. They're allowing to, you know, you're going to have standing grain in the wintertime because the pressure during the growing season is not a hundred percent on a food plot. It's on this native browse that, um, that you're promoting through timber management, prescribed fire, old field management. You're taking the pressure off your plots and, and in a very reasonable manner in a cheap way, cheap. And again, that's production for, let's say a hundred percent of your farm or 90 plus percent of your farm. You're not neglecting, you know, the vast majority of it, you're, you're touching most of the property, getting the most out of it for a wildlife's sake. Um, again, at a really reasonable rate and a really high production. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when I think of, when I think of old field management, I, I guess I just think CRP. How many times do you see people say, oh, that deer was out in the CRP. I don't know what it's doing out there. Well, I know what it's doing out there. Yeah. That's why trying to manage areas like that and get that fescue out of there and, and let those natives grow is, is, Oh, it's so beneficial. Very, very much so. So, and and again, I guess following up that, we've talked about cutting cedar 
on these glades. Mm-hmm. But we're in the Ozarks. It's not like cedars just occupy or just grow on these shallow soil slopes. Like there's cedars spread throughout, dotted throughout, you know, these small little groups and stuff like that. We hate cedars. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, and you know that we hate cedars, but I love the, I love the lumber of cedars. Oh, it's gorgeous. So, you know, that's one thing we'll be doing. Um, and I hope people can follow along is if the cedars are of size, we're going to be milling them. We're mm-hmm. going to cut them up and use them for our cabins. So they will provide some benefit to us. Not to the wildlife. Though. Not really. No, other than to, the berries. To, well, berries and and, some and that's how they spread so easily. For is you know a lot of times you see, especially on my family farm, and we'll get there down the road. But a lot of times you'll see like a huge oak tree out in the middle of a field, mm-hmm. and there's thirty cedar trees right underneath it. And you yep. think, what? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Birds eat the cedars. They fly to the oak tree, poop out the berry. Cedar starts growing. That's how they start spreading. Yep. That's. It's so common to see that just the, you know, the, the five-year-old cedars underneath the entire canopy. Or fence row. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, or power line. Row. Yeah. And so, and that's a whole other discussion. Don't even get me started on Bradford pears. <laughs> Anybody who knows me very well knows that I drive down the road and point them out because I, I just can't stand them so it's much. It's a good thing that you don't drive with a chainsaw in the back of your rig because I, I, you would never get home. Of, uh, no. Or a bottle of herbicide. And there's been times yeah. where I'm like... Maybe I should, like, close to the farm, I'll see one, and I think, I'm going to throw a hatchet and a bottle of herbicide in. Next time I go by, I'm going to go whack that tree and kill it. Yeah. It's like, so that's just one of those things we'll it discuss gets, gets later on. gets on your skin. But. But, but lots of cedar cutting, trying to open up that canopy, uh, drop those cedar slash, burn them, and allow something more beneficial to come up. We yep. touched on that last time. Cedar cutting, lots of cedar cutting. Hopefully more and more people get into that. Um uh, maybe I'll I'll just turn this rock over. Yeah. A lot of times people, especially in like ag areas. Where there's a, a there's a, not much other habitat. There's crop odd, fields there's or, areas. yeah, these little odd areas. Dead Drainages. That are, that are not really, they're too steep or they're too wet to grow crops. So they've just let them be. And, and in some, some places those are... Old pastures that there's fescue and then now there's cedar trees or honey locusts coming through. And if that's the case, there's there's work to be done. And cutting those cedars is going to be a huge part of it. And, and so this is the theory that you hear a lot is, well, I thought cedars were great thermal cover. And they're like, well, I always see the biggest deer come out of the, come out of the cedar thicket. And they're always like, why would I cut the cedars? That's where all the deer are at. Well, why? first I'll ask, why are all the deer in there? Because well, there's nothing else. Yes, exactly. And you think of, okay, why are the deer in there? Well, I hate walking through cedar thickets. Mm-hmm. I think everybody who's ever walked through a cedar thicket will say they hate walking through a cedar thicket. If you could walk into a cedar thicket, you almost have to get down on your belly and start crawling through it because... Going back to what I mentioned earlier in old field management, at a deer's level, one from ground level to four foot tall, there's not really much going on in a cedar thicket. If it's a if it's a mature cedar thicket, there's like no light. There's no light. It's cold too. It's cold. It's like wake well, because it has the absence of light. Yes. So you're not getting that actual radiation from the sun 
when you're in a cedar thicket. So you could take a thermometer, walk into a cedar thicket, and it'd be generally 5, 10 something degrees difference than if you were in an open field or a place that was an oak savanna or a pine savanna that had sunlight coming through. You're going to be warmer in those areas versus a cedar thicket. And, and, and it, it, for me, my example would be during the summer months, You, you, when I was a kid, not much air conditioning, you get home and it's like open up the fridge and kind of stand there for a little bit. That's what it feels like when you're in a cedar thicket, when you go from when you go from native grasses into a cedar thicket, it's mm-hmm. so much colder. Absolutely. And during the winter months, they say good thermal cover. That's the that's the phrase. But how so? It's it's colder. The sunlight is what's going to keep them warm. And, and now they want to go in here to get warmer? That doesn't make sense. Plus, there's no forage. There's not even – it's absent of sunlight. There's not even forage growing for to provide food. To me, what a cedar thicket does – is it provides a little bit of security, and that's just for the fact that humans don't want to walk through there, and I don't yes. blame them. I'm one of them. You're one of them. So, you know, predators, two-legged, they're most likely not going to walk through there. But what we suggest, because we come from a habitat standpoint, is let's get rid of them and actually keep it as a sanctuary, a secure area, but improve the bedding quality. And that involves allowing you know warm it's season grasses sometimes it, it, it's basically just cutting the cedars it's, it is it's cutting the cedars and then following up with prescribed fire later on mm-hmm. that's it that's it and, and and it sounds you know detrimental to it you know a really good bedding area or a place where you see deer coming through and whatever um but if you treat it in the same regard with you know security in mind you will still see the same results there will still be in there and even maybe more so than what they were. Yes, and and not only just the cover, but it's gonna. There's probably gonna be some native. There's gonna be food through there. Yeah, come through. Sure. So it's also food. Sure. So yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things that it's kind of this misconception that cedars are great thermal cover, and and I'm sure we'll get a lot of feedback on that just because so many people believe that they're great, but it's just the fact, as you mentioned earlier, it's just a secure area. I'm gonna stand my ground on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Come on. My cell phone is... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't throw that out there. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of our thoughts on cedar, and that's why we're going to be cutting and, them. And we, exactly. There, there's quite a few areas that we're going to be we're gonna be firing up chainsaws and getting in and dropping those cedars and following up with prescribed fire. Yeah. And, and then not only that, going back to some of the other areas on the farm, timber management, there's a lot of areas where there's no value to the timber. Like even scrag timber, the logger isn't going to be able to cut anything in there. It's just honestly six baseball, inches and less. It's baseball bat. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if Louisville slugger called up and said, "Hey, we we heard you have some lumber on your place," I, I would have I, I would have it for sure. The MLB would be supplied with baseball bats for the rest of their. It's a shame because they're not they're not uh, ash. They're yeah. all hickories and and. Uh, what are post they? Post oak, oaks, a lot of blackjacks, yeah. just nasty stuff that's not much value. So in those areas, and in even not just that, but if there is any marketable timber, pulp, scrag type stuff, they, it's too steep for them to really get in there. It, anyway. Honestly, and it really is. really rocky. Oh, We're yeah. in the Ozark Mountains. and so Loose this, gravel under your feet, that's honestly. That's it, yes. And not safe for equipment to get into. So we're going we're gonna to get in there ourselves and be doing hike and squirt through them. Mm-hmm. Again, it just goes back to opening up the canopy. And one thing we haven't really talked about is is using the 
the sky, if you will, or the the canopy as your guide to Hackenscourt. When you're 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 wanting light to come through, so use the canopy. Imagine you know you want to see sixty plus percent of light come through and hit the first the forest floor. So when you look up, okay, I'm gonna need to take this tree, that tree, this tree, that tree. Go in there, hack it, move twenty yards, look up again, and and you'll you'll be able to. You know, an hour into this, no, okay, that tree's going, that tree's going, that tree's going. It'll it'll pick up quicker, but not just, just that tree, this tree, that tree. Like we're this. looking for beneficial trees that, that yes. you know, or trees that will provide value in timber later on. Mm-hmm. Straight and trees. So, like a lot of these trees that aren't ever going to provide any benefit, maybe there are species that we're not really looking for mm-hmm. um, that aren't beneficial. We're going to go ahead and hack those. But yes. we're going to look around, find the little white oaks that are good, straight, going to be. We're never going to see them harvested, not in our lifetime. But we're thinking years down the road, yep. generations from now, Maybe somebody's going to or... somebody's going to benefit from our work. Yeah, and I think that's what's what's part of being a good caretaker of the land is you can't think of selfish. Okay, how is this going to benefit me? Sometimes you got to think how's this going to benefit future generations. Absolutely, and and honestly, we have our current wildlife state and everything. We have generations before us to thank for what it is now so we need to return the favor yeah and that's that's on a property basis and and an overall um state level what whatever it is thank teddy roosevelt roosevelt for the national parks oh absolutely definitely definitely so yeah that's kind of a you know a neat thought process um as you're going through and doing the work you know if you if you ever get down you're like oh my gosh it's so much work don't think about yourself, the direct benefit of it. Think of the years down the road and the enjoyment you might be providing to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, what else? What else we got? We got one more topic. One more topic. And then we'll give uh, another run. This, this, again, is the fine-tuning of, of property management. And this is honestly a little bit more of a, a hunting strategy. Um, of course, we're doing the, the timber harvest, so there's going to be treetops everywhere. And treetops are are, um, great cover. You know, they're providing areas for for deer to bed in and vice versa, you know. But what they don't... Help me out here. Basically, if you strategically place these treetops... I'll I'll say this. Deer are lazy by nature. They're lazy like us. uh, And so if you place a nasty treetop over a trail, they're going to go around it. Yes. So pull that into a hunting strategy. How can we use that to our advantage? Steer deer with treetop. Yeah. And that's not, I mean, it's as simple as just moving a couple treetops with a tractor or even a buggy with a chain Mm -hmm. and moving them around. Let's just say there's an area, there's, there's two ways we can look at it. There's, we have stand sites selected and we're like, okay, this is a great bottleneck. But there are going to be the occasional deer that slip, try and slip downwind. How do we fix that? Move Lock a treetop. Or Lock fall them. a tree. Yep. Kind of goes in that edge feathering. Like Just drop it, hinge it. Just block that trail. Create an obstacle that the deer are going to have to go around. And honestly, when it, again, when it comes to hunting strategy, make them come into range. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be right in front of your tree stand. You know, It can be... You know, especially in our, our hilly terrain, it could be 100 yards away or, or around this bend. You know, you drop a tree over here. Okay, then now they're going to have to take this trail, which is going to eventually lead them right to your stand. Yeah. And I think a, a great example of this is on on these big ridge, ridge tops. 
There's a couple big saddles. Yes. That may be 80 yards across. We move a couple of treetops. We can pull them into 50 yards or less. Mm-hmm. And it's just as simple as moving the treetop. Right. And and it's all part of property architecture. Yep. We'll get fancy with it. That's what we're trying to do here. Is we're trying to design the Prairie Hollow property to be beneficial to wildlife, but also hunting friendly. Absolutely. And that's one way we're going to do it. A simple way. A simple way. They're there. They just need to be put in the right place. Exactly. And and it might not be year one. Yeah, we're, we're going to be able to estimate, okay, you know, deer will probably do this. Let's just move one here and block that off so they come. They don't come down range. I mean, downwind, but they're in range. But it might take a year or two in each spot to really figure out, okay, it's once we hunt it long enough, yeah, to, to realize. Understand, you know, when we talk about this 400 acres, 400 plus acres of timber, it's open. It's closed canopy. It's open floor. You can see through a lot of it. So deer kind of just walk wherever they want. But now that there's going to be treetops laying everywhere and there's going to be a lot more growth, they're going to start taking the path of least resistance. Yep. And that's going to be a lot of these little logging roads, these little skitter trails, but also these saddles. And so now we're really going to have to design and understand. As soon as the timber harvest goes on, we're going to have this fall to try and figure out what's going on, where they're moving. Because their natural travel patterns from what we're used to is going to change. It is. It and is. so we're going to have to learn a new how, challenge. They're, how they're moving and then act accordingly. Yep. And, again, the treetops are there. It's just a matter of um, putting them in the right place. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's very, very uh, exciting. And I, I think that pretty well covers everything about the Prairie Hollow property. There's a lot. That's been digest. two... Two, I don't even know how long we've been doing this one, but... This is almost, almost an hour right here. Okay. If, if so not now. Two hours talking about one property. If that gives you any idea how excited we are about it, well, and how many projects well, we have coming... Exactly. How many projects and, and the the fact that this property is starting at, like, ground level. Like, mm-hmm. it's complete overhaul. You've seen, like, what are those shows um, where they buy, you know, a flip in a house. They buy yeah. these really crummy Fixer houses. Upper. Everybody's Fixer heard up. that one. My wife would kill me if she... Didn't Knew know we I rem- remembered Fixer oh, Upper, yeah. how many times I've watched Chip it with Joanna, her. Yeah. yeah. And and we're looking at those houses, and they're old, nasty, dirty houses. Something you would never and consider And then they buying. turn into something magical. That's what yeah. we're hoping to do with this property, as well as the properties that we consult on. Yeah, no and, doubt. And that's, no doubt. that goes from everything that we just discussed, helping people understand how to make... Just like last week, we were in Oklahoma helping, mm-hmm. a, helping a landowner understand... Landowner and son. One was a cattle farmer. One was a hunter, and they were trying to find a way to make it work. That was a fun. That was a fun consult. Yes, it was absolutely. It was one of those that was very exciting to see. And as I told the son, I said, "I hope you understand how how much you should appreciate your dad because they wanted to work together so badly. The, it, it the was father a... wanted to, his cattle to benefit, but also his son to benefit from hunting. And yes. so we helped them understand the ways they could manage mm-hmm. and put those two together." And, of course, it's Oklahoma, so lots of cedar cutting to do. Yeah, yeah. But I think as soon as they start getting there, I think I'm excited to see what they're going to do. Honestly, it, and I'm just going going right off the cuff, it would be cool to, to interview them like three years down the road. Yeah. Guys, how is it going? Yeah. And get the, the dad's perspective and the son's perspective and just see what all, you know, basically the new challenges that they're facing. Because it's not going to happen overnight no, for them. Nothing, no, nothing just like this happens property. overnight Exactly. habitat management. You know, th- this is going to take some years to develop and, and, and really fine-tune. But 
um, they've got a neat journey ahead of them, as do we. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully that's a good encompassing rundown of what the Prairie Hollow property is, its current state, and then techniques that we're going to use to completely overhaul um, and change it and turn it into a dynamite or a diamond in the rough. Yeah. I, I like that diamond in the rough property. And this is one of those things I think when people hear this, they go, oh, that's a lot of work. What are you going to do when you get, when you finish that? Oh, we're going to find the next list of work yeah. to do and we're going to start working on that. Yeah. It's just, it's never ending. It's always tweaking. I was just going to tell them I'm going to hunt it. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing we'll be doing. It'll be a lot more prescribed fire. Yep. It'll be a lot of timber stand improvement. And it it it's never ending. It's always going to, there's always going to be work to do. And it's, it's, it's hopefully, and, I, and I'll say it's always going to be fun. Absolutely. If you're not having fun, you're, you might be doing it for the wrong Take reasons. Take up golf, I guess. Hey. I like golf. Yeah, I like golf a lot. But I like this a lot better. Yeah, I do too. That's why I quit. Yeah. But. That's why I haven't golfed in three years. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think that pretty well covers that it wraps on this it up. part two of the Prairie Hollow Property Rundown. And uh, Love for you to follow along. Check um, us out on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. We'll be You'll doing all kinds of different posts and Photos images. of stuff that we're doing on a daily basis. and That's Land and Legacy. Land and Legacy on both us. those handles. Yep. Oh, well, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you.